You're listening to Disruptive Dialogues on the Future of Religion. Our aim is to provide listeners tools for a conversation on how religion is changing and being affected by society. I'm your co-host, Troy Shepard. I'm an app developer and a business entrepreneur and a researcher on cultural trends related to religion and community. And I'm your co-host, Dr. Heidi Campbell, a professor of communication at Texas A&M University, where I study the intersection of religion, media, and digital technology. Welcome, and let's dive into today's conversation. Welcome back to this week's podcast. We're excited to jump into today's episode. Heidi and I have recently just pushed out an ebook that we've co-authored. It is called, What Should Post-Pandemic Religion Look Like? 10 Trends That Religious Groups Need to Understand to Survive and to Thrive in the next decade. And we're talking about this today because we want to actually pull out two different chapters of that book and kind of dive into those into this episode so you kind of get an idea of what what this book is about. So the motivation behind this book was to really kind of summarize the conversations that we've been having in some of the ebooks that I've done, some of the research that Troy's done this past year, and even some of the um, topics that have emerged on our uh, podcasts. And really kind of say, you know, if there was lessons to be learned from the pandemic, if there were some takeaways, what would those be? And what do we think that maybe could be points of conversation out of that learning that religious groups, communities, leaders could ponder right now so that they come out of the pandemic ready for dynamic change, ready for adaptation, and ready to thrive in the next decade. So that's really the aim of the book. And so each of the chapters is a focus that we have. Uh, it's not really a chapter title. There are points of reflection that we, we pose. And then there's a quote to kind of think about that point, um, a little bit of commentary to, to where we develop that and hash it out. And then we leave people with a point to ponder and a place for, to start conversation and debate. And so this would be a great resource if you're looking for, whether it's for a home group or for a group of leaders who want to talk about issues. And so we're really glad to be able to talk about this today. So I'm going to turn it over to Troy to kind of introduce you to chapter five and the ideas that he sees coming out of that chapter. Yeah, so each chapter is a trend, 10 trends. So I'm going to start with chapter five. The title of chapter five is titled, Religious Communities That Are Flexible and Willing to Innovate During This Time Are Better Positioned to Foster Resilience in the Long Run. One of the words that stands out to me right off the bat is that word innovate. I know the word innovation can sometimes cause religious people to pause and maybe dismiss what is being said about innovation, a little scary. But my definition and and one that we want our listeners to take away is innovation is really the creation or implementation of a new process or a service with the aim of improving effectiveness. So doing something maybe better or doing something different. So the quote that we actually start off this chapter with is from Tom Rainer. And and he starts the quote by saying, if outside forces and culture were the reasons behind declining and non-influential churches, we would likely have no churches today. Basically, churches needed to innovate. They needed to come up with ways to kind of counteract these outside forces. He goes on to say the greatest periods of growth took place in adversarial cultures. I think we could definitely agree that we are in a culture that is very adversarial today. There is a lot of topics that I could talk about right now that people would have the exact opposite opinion and be very vocal about it. 
So again, he goes on to say, we're not hindered by external forces. We are hindered by our own lack of commitment. How committed are we to looking at doing things maybe a little bit different, maybe getting out of our comfort zone, maybe actually looking at what the mission or the vision of what we call our faith and seeing if what we're currently doing lines up with that or if we need to maybe adjust just a little bit. So that's just a quick overview of chapter five. Thanks, Troy. So one of the questions that this raises for me is just this whole idea of innovation. And and just as you said, many religious groups and especially Christian churches find that idea of innovation a bit threatening. It sounds like business language or sounds like too kind of programmatic in some way. But does innovation really have to be completely new? That's the question I have. Could innovation mean drawing on ancient practices or ways of seeing faith, but in a new container of sorts? So, you know, like this idea of innovation, does it have to be completely new? Yeah, I think first we need to look at mindset. Right now within churches, there is huge division that has probably not been here this deep for over 150 years. It's threefold, at least these are the top three. And these are divisions that are not with different denominations. These are actually divisions that are within a church group themselves. The first, we just came through a pandemic. We're still in this pandemic. Uh, COVID-19 practices within the church have caused huge divisions. People have left their church because their church either opened up too quickly, didn't open up fast enough, didn't have the right protocols. Whatever reason, they're not coming back to church, like two-thirds of them, for whatever reason. The pandemic has shown something is there. There's racial inequalities that have been in headline news over last year, and those racial inequalities dive into religious groups as well. How diverse is your religious faith or your church culture? And then there's also the political divides. You can be on one side of the fence, and the other side of the fence doesn't even acknowledge you. It's just, it's really, really divisive. And I think those are just the top three divisions that are occurring right now. It really goes back to mindset. We have to think about what is the top priorities of a church. So when you think about innovation, for instance, can a church be experimenting, be experimental, and still be on mission? Can they be flexible and still be on mission? Can a church pivot while still staying on mission? I think it's about adapting the mission because culture and societal shifts, you know, really require it. I mean, we look at, you know, the racial tensions, the the pandemic, the political polarization scene. Uh, we, we have to look at adapting to what is going on in culture while staying on mission. I think resisting change <laughs> is analogous to someone who is still using a typewriter because they believe it's the most effective way to write. We would look at that and go, there's, there's quicker, faster, better ways of writing now. We don't need the typewriter anymore. We've had to move past that. We've, needed, uh, we've had to change. We've had to adapt. I think for churches, the event has, has been in the past the whole product. And I think right now, the mindset cannot be that the event is the whole product. So I think it goes back to the practices. What are we truly practicing as a religious culture, as a religious as a religious faith group? And I think if we focus on the practices, 
innovation will come and it will actually it'll actually be life-saving I think for religious groups I think you make a lot of good points there because innovation, it's about change, but religious organizations and institutions have gotten the reputation of like, they are resistant to change and slow to change. So that massive freight liner that you can't have to move bit by bit. But religious groups have historically have always had to change. They adapt as they as people spread or move in diasporas to different cultures. Every time period when new technologies, when new times emerge, we've had to adapt the practices of, of how they how they, they worship, how they live, how they even define what community is and constitute that. And so, you know, I think churches need to move past saying that, wow, no, we can't change fast or we can't adapt and really and really embrace it. And I think especially all my uh, friends in missiology would kind of say, yeah, you know, the church has been a pioneer historically in this. Rather, we need to even just reframe the mindset that we don't change, but that it's more how we change and in line with mission. So let's dive into chapter six. So chapter six really builds on and carries on some themes from chapter five. The title goes, the digital innovations made during a time of national quarantine should continue past the crisis just in a different way. Lessons learned about how to reach out and leverage technology for ministry are vital to incorporate in a dynamic, changing world. So again, we're picking up on this idea of that the world is changing and that the church must also change and not see this as something adversarial or kind of even against its culture, but actually part of the DNA of the church and religious communities. So it's about that kind of adaptation and technology becoming part of that process. Now, we've talked a lot, and I've talked a lot in my work, about how technology is often the scapegoat in in modern society for all our ills. If there's a character flaw, it's because of technology. And, or, you know, somebody did something wrong, well, because they were influenced by the messages of media, the media or technology. But technology is, is at its essence, it's a tool. Techne is about technique. It's about the creation. It's about kind of these tools and resources. And of course, those tools and resources have values built into them, but it's also about kind of how and why you use something, the motivations that lie behind this. And it kind of gets at that idea of kind of fear. You know, the quote we start this chapter with is by Francis Chan. He says, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but succeeding in things in life that don't really matter. Mm. And oftentimes, you know, we like, and we, we blame the tool when we don't realize it's actually the practice or the attitude or the interpretation that we've got wrong. But it's easier to kind of blame something external to us than, than have to evaluate really what is our agenda, what is our mission. And so what um, we're really calling for people to do is really reflect on kind of, you know, how technology has been a helpmate during this time. The tools that have helped invigorate mission about how maybe changing our mindset of what community is or could be, and just kind of helping us adapt to the current context and see these as flexible tools that we can take into the next decade and, adapt, again, adapt with that post-pandemic reality that we hope is around the corner soon. So really seeing technology is, is, not, is not the blight, it's not the, the bad guy, it's how it's used, and really seeing that it has this potential in the, the way that we frame it and kind of the challenge that it poses to us about how things have been and where things could go. Yeah, so one of the things that we do bring up in this chapter, we talk about the online and the offline and this hybrid space. Uh, So a question I have for you is, you know, what do you see as the, as the hybrid space that churches really need to embrace? 
So yeah, the term hybrid has become a, a hot term. Many people are talking about, you know, the rise of, of hybrid church that kind of mixes this online and offline. But that, that relationship between, you know, what's happening through technology or the online space and what's happening in traditional context, even though we're talking about this hybrid as a coming together, most people tend to see them as two separate spaces and those spaces being in competition. And really what, what I think the time of the pandemic is saying, let's look at this as a partnership. That it's not online culture or offline culture. That it's not like, you know, church with, with technology and church in traditional means. It's really about this new continuum. We really can't separate these as spaces, but need to see that we live in this online, offline, this hybrid reality where sometimes more of our attention is mediated and sometimes it's more it's embodied. Sometimes our practice is face-to-face and hand-to-hand and sometimes it has to be through the screen. But really seeing how do we kind of blend those two realities together. And, you know, for, through my research, I've seen kind of this, there's three different strategies where when people will be willing to move past that it's, you know, these two competing kind of spears of reality or, or, or spears of truth and see them as coming together. You know, some people see them as bridge so that they still have a sense of distinction. But, okay, how do we create resources or a space that kind of connects the two? Others see it as kind of blended, that there's this, there's this area where this new space of the online and offline, and then there's some things that are always going to be best offline, you know, like baptisms maybe, <laughs> and, you know, some things that may be better online, like accountability in a 24-7 reality using technology in its best ways. And then other groups, you know, see it as blurred, where it's kind of a messy distinction. Uh, for me, I think for most groups, if they can get to that place of seeing that it's a blended reality, that new and the old are coming together, there's still this distinctiveness, but there's also this new combination. And really trying to understand and define what that looks like for your faith community, for your church, for your religious worship space, I think is really important. And we mentioned in this chapter too, you know, about what is digital ministry. I I say that word and, you know, some things might pop into your mind like, oh no, maybe a year ago our church didn't even have a digital ministry. And I would actually argue that every single church has had a digital ministry for years, even up to two decades. Because when you think of digital ministry, it's really the ministers or the people that are within that group doing their ministry with a digital footprint, potentially. Whether it's sharing stuff on social media that happened between you and and something you were doing based on your faith. Whether it's a church actually having a website. I mean, that's a digital ministry. And I think a great example of this is Zoom. I mean, when the pandemic hit, how many churches were fluent in Zoom two years ago? (laughs) Most didn't even know it existed. (laughs) And yet today, there's almost not a single church that hasn't at least, they may not have done Zoom, but they've done something that is similar. Somehow they've had to get their message across to people in a way that uses digital technology. These platforms can be used for good. They can be leveraged for good. They Many, many, many religious forums can occur because of the digital. And I think that's a great thing. And I think that raises a point that, that you just said that um, we often think about that, oh, okay, 2020 is the year that people opted into digital ministry or uh, the online church, but they've always been opted in since the internet came about in the 90s and since, especially since the 2000s as the internet became embedded in our everyday lives. 
even if you don't engage directly, your identity is partially formed by how people see you online, how you're talked about online, what your website says. And so, you know, really kind of this is seeing basically that and rather than seeing that it's the time that we opted in, it's the time that the church woke up to the digital age and the impact it was having and basically consciously chose to help define their, their digital ministry rather than culture defining it for them. Yeah. Well, so what we've been talking about today is just two chapters from this book that we just published, and it is called What Should Post-Pandemic Religion Look Like? Again, it's an e-book. The subtitle is 10 Trends That Religious Groups Need to Understand to Survive and Thrive in the Next Decade. The link for this book is going to be put in the description of the podcast. The book is completely free. We would hope that you would read uh, the rest of the chapters and even share them amongst your friends. Of course, share it on social media if you think it's just fantastic. Yes, so we hope it to become a resource uh, for conversations and deeper reflection, not just something to, to pass the time away. And so, again, download it for free. Pass it on to your friends who you think could benefit from it, as well as maybe those that you could have some great, rich, deep conversations about these points. And we look forward to offering more ebooks in the future from these podcasts. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified of future podcasts. And be sure to rate and review this podcast on your favorite platform or share it with your friends. We hope you're leaving today with a better understanding about religion and conversational tools to talk about it. We look forward to seeing you again in our next episode. So until then, take, take care. care.